0: I want to say good morning to you all. It is certainly a blessed opportunity to be standing before you, to be able to impart unto your hearing another portion of God's holy and divine writ. As we enter into a new month, we enter into a new, as our custom is, discussion or topic topic, Leaving the discussion of our giving of thanks or thanksgiving rather, but now entering into the discussion that we will conclude this year, if the Lord permit, pertaining to judgment, pertaining to judgment. When we think about this topic, you may think about perhaps what you hear in society, what you hear on the job or In our lives, when we're explaining to individuals who we are, what we do, who we stand for, pertaining to our Christian faith and our Christian walk, many individuals as almost an excuse, much like that topic of perfection that we studied some months back, dealing with perfection, many individuals would regard this topic of judgment in a very specific way. They would hold near and dear to their lives that in regards to judgment, they would not like to enforce any judgment on anybody else. And they themselves would not like any judgment opposed on themselves. Perhaps along the line, they got this concept from even portions of segments of the Bible that are true. Not to say that just segments of the Bible are true. The Bible is true. But nevertheless, they might have gotten this concept or this theme from a portion of the Bible, which they took and interpreted perhaps the wrong way. I think about the book of Matthew, specifically in Matthew, the seventh chapter, When we regard the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in that famous Sermon on the Mount, mid-sermon Christ is explaining this judgment. As we think about this, we need not to lose sight at who Christ was and who he was speaking to. Texts like Matthew, the tenth chapter in the limited commission of how he explains people to go forth into the world would explain excuse me, explain rather. His disciples, for his disciples to go to the lost tribe of Israel. How he is sent to the lost sheep of Israel. We've seen this in another context pertaining to when Jesus was speaking with a Canaanite woman. Nevertheless, here in Matthew, the seventh chapter, about mid sermon, Jesus would spend this time on judgment. I perhaps, purely in conjecture, believe that. What individuals in our lives who would reflect on this topic of judgment would put a wall up between our Christianity and their lives that they lead. They would hold on to this point of judgment as if it was some high moral ground or standard that they were able to obtain. Clearly warding us off saying, well, I don't want to be the judge of anyone or only God even is my judge. Certainly that is true. But with context, I believe we can better understand what Christ Jesus is saying here in Matthew, the seventh chapter. When we look at Matthew, the seventh chapter. You may remember. Piggybacking off of the discussion in the context that Jesus is speaking to Jews Jesus is speaking to the children of Israel. You see here in verse 1 that he would say, Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you. These words are very important because I believe Jesus is setting up very well The context in which judgment ought to occur. The context in which one ought to judge. We have to be very clear that we are not casting forth judgment, not considering or taking the proper examination of our own lives. I remember that scripture, keeping your finger here in Matthew, the seventh chapter, that scripture over there in second Corinthians in second Corinthians, the 13th chapter nigh unto the end of that epistle where Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 13 at verse 5, before we get to verse 5, or rather verse 5, he says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, how we ought to prove our own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Thinking about these concepts, tying it into what Christ Jesus is saying, he's explaining that, there is a judgment that would to occur but before you go forth to judge you need to ensure and make sense make sure rather that you understand that the same judgment you give it will also be measured and required of you perhaps people in the world would hang their hat on a concept that they think they know but if you continue to read in the context in verse 3 Jesus would give an understanding and perhaps more clarity to what he's saying. In verse 3 he says, Why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye, but you considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thy eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Christ cuts right to the trace and he says, Thou hypocrite, in verse 5, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. I believe this is perhaps what's troubling the church in 2022, just as it was plaguing the Israelites all the way back in the day when Jesus would be ushering in his doctrine into the world. You see here that there's hypocrisy. There's hypocrisy in the judgment that is being pro-offered with some of his Jewish brethren. He tries to reprove this behavior and explain that we first need to cast out the beam that is in our own eye before we go and try to fix what's in our brothers. I think in Galatians, the sixth chapter... Perhaps to you, this gives a little more context as well. But in Galatians, the sixth chapter, I remember what Paul would be explaining. Paul explains pertaining to that brother that may be overtaken in a fault. In Galatians, the sixth chapter at verse one, it says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Thinking back about what Paul would say in second Corinthians, the 13th chapter at verse five, where he would say, examine or prove your own selves to see whether or not you be in the faith before we try to go and see about our brother's eye. Before we even try to go to restore our brethren, we need to understand or we need to be sure that we are the spiritual individuals equipped to do so in Galatians, the sixth chapter here. Says ye which are spiritual. Remember Paul's writing to the entire church in Galatia. Ye that are spiritual. Which I believe puts them in a mindset. To first check themselves. Before they go and try to check someone else. Says restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself lest ye also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Perhaps this is what is plaguing the church in 2022, that individuals aren't properly able to assess what's going on in their own lives before they have the audacity, before they have the opportunity or they take with boldness and arrogance the opportunity to address what's going on in others' lives. Now, certainly in the context of Galatians 6, There are or there is the opportunity to be in the proper mindset and the spirit of meekness go to restore another. But we need to be quite circumspect about our own lives before we put our hand to the plow to do so. Christ Jesus back in Matthew, the seventh chapter. Is dealing with the hypocrisy that is plaguing the Israelites Thou hypocrite, first cast out, Matthew 7, verse 5, the beam out of thine own eye, then you shall see clearly. This ability to be able to see clearly in judgment. To cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. It gives a lot of context to us when we continue to read the passage. Perhaps when we take verse 1, we take verse 1 and we put it on the Background of our phone and we look at it every day as soon as we look at the time, we'll quickly lose sight of the fact that Christ is not just giving a one off exhortation or a sentence for reproof, but rather he's showing that it's through hypocrisy that we failed to meet the muster. When I think about what Galatians, the sixth chapter would say there, ye who are spiritual, I think about judgment in another context. When we think about judgment in another context, we go to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, Paul explaining things pertaining to the spiritual man. You may remember in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Paul, according to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter at verse seven says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God Ordained before the world unto our glory. You see, God the Father being able, before the world was even created, to be able to provide wisdom that was going to be given to man. We'll see that here shortly. But in the context of 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, Paul's explaining this very point, showing how we speak wisdom to those, the wisdom of God to those who were perfect, those who were complete. Those who are even spiritual. If you think later in the chapter, read in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, starting here at verse 13. Or in verse number 14, rather, it says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. All right. Verse 13, "We, we the things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Time would fail me to discuss that in its entirety, but it, in short, Paul is explaining that we're not speaking just on behalf of man's wisdom; we're speaking on behalf of the wisdom of God that was revealed unto us by the Holy Ghost. This is important because it pertains to judgment. It says, "But the natural things, does, the natural man rather does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them." Because they are spiritually discerned. But look here in verse 14. The Bible would speak on this wise. He says, but he that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. When we take Matthew, the seventh chapter at verse one, we take it as a standalone verse and forget the rest of the context. Verses two through five. Perhaps people can hasten to a conclusion That no man can judge me. What is not true that no man can judge you? The scripture would say in another place that judgment would first begin at the household of God. We will read that here just shortly. But nevertheless, when we read these scriptures and we put them together to be able to get a fuller understanding of the wisdom of God, we see that we need not to have the mindset of the natural man, but the spiritual man. Being able to spiritually discern all matters in our lives. According to Hebrews the fifth chapter, Hebrews the fifth chapter, we'll go there really quickly. Do not leave First Corinthians for too long. But in Hebrews the fifth chapter, you may remember how we ought to exercise ourselves. In Hebrews the fifth chapter, specifically at verse 14, it says, But the strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, Hebrews 5:14. Even those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. I think about what Paul' is saying here in 1 Corinthians the second chapter. It says he that is spiritual spiritual rather judges all things, not just some things, but all things. yet <clears throat> he explains that he himself is judge of no man. When we think about that, Does that mean that there are going to be some men in this world that are going to be able to escape judgment? Well, we know that that is not the case. According to Hebrews, the ninth chapter at verse 27, to death, every man will come. But after that is the judgment. According to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter at verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But when we hone in on this verse, we understand what Paul is introducing. He's introducing, I believe, or reintroducing what Jesus was explaining to those Israelites in Matthew, the seventh chapter. You spiritual individual, you yourself are judged of no man because you're spending so much time, according to 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, examining your own lives. You're consistently looking in the mirror. You're consistently looking in the word of God to be able to order your steps according to. To the righteousness that is therein. It's so important. Where he would say yet he himself is judged of no man. Why is that the case? Because you're not giving any others the opportunity to be able to judge you. Because you're spending so much time looking into God's word. To be able to figure out how you ought to live. That's so important. Because if we lean on our own understanding as the proverbial writer would say. If we lean on our own system of what we think is right, if we lean on our own, quote unquote, righteousness, we can never meet the muster that God has for us. Going into our topic for the day, we're discussing the righteous judgment. It's the righteous judgment that is focused through what God has given us. I think all about all the way back at what the psalmist would say. What the psalmist would say all the way back in the ninth division of Psalm. If you would turn there with me. And the ninth division of Psalm. You may remember. The words that are there. We'll read the first couple of verses. In the ninth division of Psalm, looking at verse one, the Bible would say, I will praise thee. O Lord, with my whole heart, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee, and I will sing praise unto thy name, O Most High. When my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. But look here at verse number four. The Bible would say, for thou hast maintained my right and my cause, and you saddest, In the throne judging right. Discussing the righteous judgment of God, you would see that the psalmist David would even understand that God is sitting in his throne judging right. This is so important. When we want to be called children of God, when we seek to be a part of his church, when we seek to be a part of his kingdom, That can't come devoid of understanding the righteous judgment that God has. As we go a little bit further in the book of Psalms, going now to the 33rd division. You may remember what the Bible would say there. In Psalms 33, specifically at verse number four. David would say. For the Lord or the word of the Lord is right. For the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of goodness of the Lord or the goodness of the Lord. In verse six, it says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them. By the breath of his mouth. Simply by the word of the Lord, he created the world. By the word of the Lord and by the breath of his mouth were all things made. But the beauty that we see pertaining to this same Lord who created all things, he loves righteousness and he loves judgment. In understanding who the Lord is and his character, understanding what the psalmist would even understand in verse 4, that the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth, we must conclude that not only is he righteous, but his judgment will also be righteous. So if we want to take upon the mindset to be able to judge all things according to first Corinthians, the second chapter verses 14. If we want to be able to judge all things. Be spiritually discerned so that we can escape the judgment of others. We must first understand who the Lord is and how. His judgment is in the world. Understand that he loves righteousness and he loves judgment. This is what some of the individuals that Christ Jesus is discussing and explaining to in Matthew, the seventh chapter, are struggling with because they're doing this and they're judging others in hypocrisy, not taking into account their own lives. Christians, we cannot fall into that trap Because I remember what the Philippians writer would explain in Philippians, the second chapter, specifically at verse number 12, how we have to work out our own soul salvation. If we want salvation of the soul, we must understand God's righteous judgment. We must understand what it is. We must understand how to apply it to our own lives. If we want not to be wrestled with all of the judgments of individuals at the job. Perhaps in our families, perhaps friends and neighbors, we need to be so focused on the righteous judgment of God. If we continue to read and continue to understand this righteous judgment, understanding that Jesus was struggling with that in his day. I think about some of our studies that we've done in the recent past over there in the book of Romans, the second chapter. Don't you remember Romans, the second chapter, where Paul, dealing with the hypocrisy of some of the Jews, dealing with the hypocrisy of some of the Israelites here in this context. You may remember what Paul would say in Romans, the second chapter, looking at verse one. He would open up and say, thou art inexcusable. O man, whosoever thou art that judges for wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you that judge does the same things. Here's this hypocrisy once again. If you get nothing else from this lesson, you need to understand that there is no hypocrisy in righteous judgment. That we need to be focused on the righteous judgment of God and we need to be able to apply it to our own lives. Thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that judges. For wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself, for thou... That judges does the same things. These things ought not to be so. In verse 2 it says, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And do you think thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things and do, does the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? What a beautiful question. What a beautiful question. We need never to lose sight of this. If we perhaps get trapped up in wanting to judge one of our uh, brethren, according to the faith or someone else, and we have not yet properly dealt with our own lives. Do you think that you're going to escape the judgment of God is what Paul is asking? The answer should inevitably be no. Why? Because as we cited before. It's appointed once every man to die. After that, the judgment, the judgment to come to all souls. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Because of that, we will not escape the judgment of God. You do such things, is what he says in verse 3. He says, Do you think thou this, O man, that judge them which do such things? And you do it the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? Paul's explaining that you have time. Instead of focusing your time solely on judging others when your own lives are not yet correct. He's saying by doing this, you're despising the forbearance, the long suffering of God. Understanding that God's allotting you this time in this life to be able to get things right before it's everlasting too late. God's long suffering of not committing those things which you have done wrong against you. Is pointing to his goodness. Through this long suffering, through this forbearance, you have time to get things right. You have time to repent. You have time to turn from this hypocrisy. In other words, we ought not to despise the riches of his goodness and the forbearance. It says in verse five, but after thy hardness and impotent heart, you treasures up unto yourself thyself against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There's a day coming. I believe we sang that last week. There's a great day coming. Are you ready for the judgment day? There is a judgment day coming to every man in which, according to Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter at verse 14, everything, both good and evil, will be brought in to judgment. Every idle word, according to Matthew, the 12th chapter at verse 36, will be brought in to judgment. We need to be focusing on our own lives. We need to be taking account and examination of our own lives to make sure That we're not caught up in the hypocrisy of spending all of our days judging another. Certainly we must judge all things according to 1 Corinthians the the second chapter, but we must do it with the spiritual mindset. There's a day coming. There's a day coming where those that are judging in a hypocritical manner will not be able to escape the wrath of God. Will not be able to escape the righteous judgment of God. We'll come back to Romans, the second chapter just momentarily. But I remember, according to what the brother just read to you all a bit ago in Second Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. Where we likely can derive the point of today. But in Second Thessalonians, if you turn there really quickly with me, you may remember Paul condemning the church in Thessalonica. Their faith was sounded out to many individuals In the greater part of Macedonia. But you might remember in 2 Thessalonians the first chapter. Again he says we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you brethren. As it is meet because of your faith groweth exceedingly. The charity of every one of you all toward each other it abounds. Paul's not talking about their hypocrisy. He's not having to spend a great deal of time with the church of Thessalonica about how they're misjudging one another. But rather, he says, your faith is growing. Your charity towards each other is abounding. But look here in verse four. In verse four, it says, so that we ourselves glory in you. In the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Doesn't this look like what we discussed a couple of weeks ago pertaining to that which is thankworthy in 1 Peter, the second chapter, at verse 19? If we endure grief, if we suffer for the well doing that we do, just like Christ Jesus? Look at this. Look at this process of our lives pertaining to judgment, how this is applied, what it actually proves. In 2 Thessalonians, verse 1, Or chapter one, verse four, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and your faith in your persecutions and your tribulations that you endure. Look what this is. in verse five, it says this is the manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Your faith is increasing. Your love towards the saints is abounding, even during tribulation, even during grief. This is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. How beautiful of an understanding that that is. Most people look at our lives in Christianity. They look at the things that we would go through. They look at the the stands that we have to take according to the world and all of its crazy politics. They look at the things that we stand for pertaining to the truth of God's word, and they don't want anything to do with it. They don't like going against the grain. They would say, well, why would you even want to live a life where you have to take a stand and be against what everybody from a common perspective would understand to be true or understand to be appropriate? Why would you want to live a life like that? But nevertheless, we see that this is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Understanding the righteous judgment of God, we can be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing that God or with God to recompense tribulation to them that would trouble you. Even those individuals who are opposing us, there's going to be righteous tribulation through God's judgment against them. Do you despise the goodness of God? Remember what Romans the second chapter would just say? Do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? Not only those individuals who hypocritically misapply judgment, but those individuals who would just stand away from judgment altogether. Not focusing on God's righteous judgment. It's a righteous thing. The Bible says in verse six that God would recompense tribulation to them that trouble you to you who are troubled. Rest with us when the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, he's going to be taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, also, we pray always for you that God, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. We're worthy of this calling. I remember what 2 Peter, the first chapter at verse 10 would say, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Remember, according to 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, verses 14 and 15, we're called by the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, God would count you worthy of this calling. This calling puts you in the kingdom of God. This calling, and because of the kingdom of God, you were worthy of this kingdom. And it's a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy to suffer according to this kingdom that you stand for. In verse 11 again, wherefore, we always pray for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is so important. To be counted worthy of this calling, we must understand the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God that is laid out for us in his holy and divine writ. The righteous judgment of God that the psalmist would explain all those years ago when the Holy Ghost would speak by his mouth. That God does things in righteousness and truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. When we understand that, we take a new mindset when it comes to judgment. We first don't look outward but we look inward examining ourselves before we would even put the hat of spirituality on to try to get our brethren right we must do it in the proper and holistic fashion that God had intended it's a righteous judgment time would fail me to discuss how he commits that judgment perhaps this evening to his son we'll discuss but sticking to the point this righteous judgment that we must understand. Going really quickly back to Romans, the second chapter, and the lesson will be yours. I'm going really quickly back to Romans, the second chapter. Remember, do you think, oh man, according to Romans, the second chapter, verse three, you that judges them which do such things and does the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? The inevitable answer is no. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and the long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to Repentance. But after that, I hardness and impotent heart, you treasures up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There is a day that's coming, and in that day, the righteous revelation of God is going to come forth. It's going to come forth through His Son. Again, we must all appear before the judgment seat of His of Christ says there in verse six, who will render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. Those who seek eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth that obey unrighteousness, there's indignation and wrath. He says there's tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but there's glory, honor, peace to every man. Who worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there's no respect of persons with God. What beauty is to understand that whether Jew or Gentile, we can truly understand the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God that was going to be sent into this world. I think about another point. Another point specifically about Psalm the ninth chapter verse eight, how. Again, he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. If We continue to read, right? He sat in his throne. He sat in his throne, according to Psalm, the ninth division at verse four, judging right. But then you see in Psalm, the ninth chapter at verse seven, it says, but the Lord shall endure forever. He that hath prepared his throne for judgment, he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. That judgment has been given to the son, Christ Jesus, who is that faithful servant coming into this world, the word of God, putting on flesh to go about doing good. The word of God that was put into this world to die for our sins. Through his righteous life that he led through obedience unto his father, through the spirit of holiness after his resurrection from the dead. Of course, he died that cruel and agonizing death on Calvary's cross where he shed his blood for us. Through that blood, we have remission of sins. Through that blood, we have forgiveness of all things that we've done wrong. Through that blood, we can understand redemption. Through that blood, we understand righteousness. We are justified by that blood according to Romans, the fifth chapter, at verse number nine. But he shed his blood, buried in a borrowed tomb. The third day he arose. That after the spirit of holiness and the resurrection of the dead, he was declared to be the son of God. According to John, the fifth chapter at verse 22, God has committed his righteous judgment to his son. Why? Because his son was faithful. His son, as a humble and obedient servant, made himself of no reputation, according to Philippians, the second chapter, verses five through eight. And he humbled himself to death, taking on the form of the servant. He humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. That was an agonizing death. But that's an agonizing death that we don't have to go through. We simply, according to our minds, have to be crucified with Christ. Just as Paul says in Galatians, the second chapter at verse 20, that old man of sin we put to death as we are buried with him in baptism. That is what we must do to be placed in the kingdom. And once we're in the kingdom, we're counted worthy. It's that token. According to second Thessalonians, the first chapter at verse five, it's that token that we're worthy of to be placed in the kingdom to be able to suffer for righteousness sake. It's that righteous judgment that while we suffer a little while, there's going to be wrath and indignation to all of those that would trouble you, according to the flesh. As we're living here in this earth, there's going to be people that oppose you. There's going to be trials of affliction. There's going to be tribulation that happens. But there's going to be, because of the righteous judgment of God, a recompense to all those that would oppose you for what you would suffer, standing up for Christ and being in his kingdom. Let us never lose sight of that. Let us not despise the riches, the long suffering and the forbearance of God. Let us not spend all of our days misapplying the judgment that we get from the scriptures, able to discern between the good and evil, being spiritually minded, receiving the spiritual things of God, being able to judge all things so that we can escape the judgment of others. But while we're able to escape the judgment of others, we'll never be able to escape the judgment of God. It's a righteous judgment. We ought to be glorifying. We ought to be thankful. Living lives so righteous that we're just excited for that day of judgment. Not nervous about the things that we've done in the past. Knowing that the things that we've done that have fallen short of the glory of God have been remitted. Have been washed away. Been washed by the blood of Christ. We need to understand the gospel. We have to come hearing what Jesus has done for us. That he put on Calvary's cross, that he took on that penalty. He took on that death. He was not worthy of that death. We were, but he took on that penalty for us. We simply have to acknowledge that he is that perfect, sinless son of God. By acknowledging that, by hearing the testimony, hearing the agony that he went through, hearing how all of his friends betrayed him, hearing how they beat him, whipped him mercilessly, That needs to move us to be able to obey what God wants for us. Obeying the gospel. Hearing the gospel is the first step. As the Bible would say in Romans, the 10th chapter, specifically at verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. After we've heard the word, we have to believe it with all of our heart. With the heart again, Romans, the 10th chapter verses 9 and 10. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. We have to be fully persuaded in our heart. Again, 2 Peter, the first chapter, at verse 10. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Our calling is in the gospel of Christ Jesus. We have to hear it. We have to believe it with all our heart, just as those Gentiles by Peter's mouth, according to Acts 15, chapter Cornelius, household in verse seven. They heard the word of the gospel and they believed it. Not only did they believe it, but according to Mark, the sixteen chapter at verse 16, they were baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. After we've heard it, after we believed it, we come confessing. With the mouth, confession is made, right? We come confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We come confessing that he is the son of God. We have that mindset of repentance as well. Not just the mindset, but we bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. The Bible would say in Luke, the 13th chapter, verse number five, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Not being so focused in the things that we did in the past, crucifying that old man to walk in the newness of life. That's what we're talking about in Romans 6 chapter In Romans, the sixth chapter in our Bible study, it's in your bulletins as well. You can either be servants of unrighteousness and sin, or you can be servants of righteousness. The wages of sin is death, according to Romans, the sixth chapter verse 23. But it's the gift of God that brings forth eternal life. We need to know who we serve. We serve a righteous God. And because we serve a righteous God, we can be focused just as His son was through our obedience and righteousness. We need to repent of those things that were time before that were past. The Bible would say in Acts, the third chapter at verse 19, repent and be converted. We ought to repent and be converted. Just as John was explaining in Luke, the third chapter, at verse eight, you have to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. I remember that discussion in Romans, the sixth chapter at verse 21, when Paul was talking about. That old man that was supposed to be crucified, buried with Christ in his death, buried in our baptism into Christ. What fruit did you have in those things that you were and now you should be ashamed of those things? Romans, the sixth chapter at verse 21. There was no fruit in those things. But now our fruit is now unto righteousness and holiness in Christ Jesus. This repentance point is so important. Hear the gospel. Believe it. Confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. You repent of your sins. Why? No longer serving sin, but we're bringing forth our fruit unto righteousness and holiness. Being servants of righteousness. Those that have been dead to sin, you're now freed from it. Those that are serving righteousness, you're now freed from sin. We can be freed from sin through our obedience to the gospel. Being baptized into Christ Jesus. Now we're talking about baptism. Of course, in Romans, the sixth chapter and verse three, we're baptized into his death. Just as you've been planted with him. You should be planted also to walk with him in the newness of life through the resurrection. Go down in the watery grave of baptism, a sinner. You come up a Christian. And if you be risen with Christ, according to Colossians, the third chapter, verses one through three, your affections are now focused on him. Your affections are now focused on the things that are above. That is the plan of salvation. Henceforth. After you become a new creature in Christ, after you've been baptized and you put on Christ, according to Galatians, the third chapter, verse 27, after you're baptized for the remission of sins, according to Acts, 20, the second chapter, at verse number 38. You now suffer those things worthy of the kingdom, worthy of the kingdom, just waiting for the righteous judgment of God to be revealed from all of those things that are unrighteous, to be revealed against from all those things that are unrighteous. We may glory in that day when Christ Jesus Descends into this world to be able to bring back a church. To be able to translate the kingdom up to his father. We can meet him in the air. We need to be focused on that day and we need to be faithful. Until we hear well done thou good and faithful servant. According to Revelation the second chapter. Verse 10 there's a crown of righteousness laid up for those who would overcome. We need to overcome and we need to endure for the end. Or until the end. That is the gospel message. I believe the song of invitation is Jesus is tenderly calling. Jesus is calling. He calls us by the gospel. God calls us by his gospel. And you can only find that written in your Bibles. You can only confirm what I've said to you today in the Bible. Let us consider that as we together stand and sing a song of the Savior's invitation.